Life isn't about answers, it's about questions. Asking good questions is key to learning. That's a proven fact. And there's no more important question than why Jesus. So get ready as we dive into the conversation together on the next episode of the Why Jesus Podcast. What up, what up, what up? Shout out to Jeremy Collins for that fire, fire video introduction. That guy is the truth. Uh, what's up, everybody? I'm here with my boy, Joe Bahoda. I'm excited to have him on here with you guys and with me. We're going to be talking about some interesting things going on in the world today. Uh, first, we're going to be discussing how Brian Houston, the founder of Hillsong Church, was just found not guilty not guilty on covering up his father's uh, sexual abuse. Um, so, you know, that's, I think that's a win. I think that's good news for the church. We have enough scandals going on. It's finally good to see that somebody's not guilty of something. And we're also going to be talking about the persecution of the church going on in Pakistan. I mean, it's, it's nothing new to Pakistan. Uh, you know, some of the, uh, if you guys have been following me for a while, you know, we have um, worked with a few ministries out there, but one in particular that is being ran by a woman who we don't even say her name because of how dangerous it is out there. Um, I actually haven't even heard from her in a while, so let's keep her in prayer. But, um, you know, it's, it's no joke out there. We have it good in the United States when it comes to um, being able to openly practice our faith but so that's what we're going to be talking about today joe my man what's up brother how are you what's up man what's up john thanks for having me man. i'm excited for you being here just uh just real quick before we get into this tell people where they can find you because you cover a whole bunch of christian topics that are, are relevant to people who listen to this channel so yeah, well, if you just, I, I just did a revamping of my channel, so it's a lot easier to find. If you just type in my name, Joe Bahoda, it'll go right to, in the search engine, right to my, um, right to my channel. And yeah, you're right. I talk about, you know, modern day topics, like kind of like we're talking about tonight to, you know, obviously Bible studies, but also to, you know, wolves in the church and, you know, basically chasing the wolves away type of thing. So a lot of different, uh, avenues on my channel yeah that's how you can find me just type in my name right up awesome so i was just notified that there's a little bit of an echo i'm going to put on my headphones and see if that changes anything what i tell you joe i told you if there's an echo the chat would let us know right that's it yeah i, <laughs> I didn't hear anything so I, it's good on mine all right, cool. Guys, uh, we're going to continue with the conversation, but just let us know if the echoing has cleared up. So, Joe, you're somebody that I'm, I'm, I'm glad to have on this, uh, this podcast for podcast, this conversation for two reasons. Uh, one is your experience in, in, you know, your military experience going overseas and working in cultures that are very similar to the culture we find in Pakistan. But, um, also because you came out of a word of faith church, you came out of hyper charismania, the whole mega church scene. So you and I, uh, we have a few things in common when it comes to, you know, 
once subscribing to a certain type of theology and then separating from that. And uh, I don't think there's anybody better to talk to about the stuff that has gone on and is going on in Hillsong Church. So let's um let's bring up this picture, this thing right here. Hopefully, this is it. There's this in my background. I'm so bad at this, guys. This is the why Jesus stuff. So. <laughs> Uh, better than me. Yeah, yeah. So this is um. Th- let me close this out. Boom, right there. So this is the Facebook page of Brian Houston, and and I saw this pop up uh, when I was just scrolling, and it said not guilty, and I started reading it, and we'll read this together right now. Um, it says, well, this is Brian Houston speaking. Says, well, yesterday a very long saga came to an end. Finally, I was vindicated by an in-depth judgment, which compellingly pulled apart the prosecution's argument one by one. The magistrate judge described my actions as the exact opposite to a cover-up, in that I immediately began to tell people of my father's crimes, including large crowds, sections of the media have been complicit by building a narrative on a completely false premise regarding the circumstances. They purposely omitted in their narrative that when I first became aware of the allegations against my father, the victim was 37 years old, who did not want the police involved. It was a historic complaint from 1970 when he was seven and I was 15, and I was obviously unaware of the abuse until I was 45. It has also been ignored that these, that these abuses did not happen at, Ch- at Hillsong, but rather many years before Hillsong Church existed. Documentaries have lied, twisted the facts, and confused timelines, and intentionally misled people with a narrative hell-bent on discrediting an influential church and turning a noble name into a bad name. I will speak about that in more depth in the days ahead. Thank you to those who have stood with me every step of the way while others ducked and weaved. Much better days ahead. Much love, Bobby. I'm Brian and Bobby. So this comes off the bat, guys, just just to get you all up to speed. Um, It was alleged that Brian Houston was covering up for his father who was sexually abusing children uh, that were in his church, right? And so the allegations were that Brian Houston knew about this stuff and deliberately worked to cover up the atrocities that his father was committing. Now, before, um, you know, I I ask you, Joe, your opinion on this, me, I was uh, sexually abused when I was a kid, right? So whenever I hear about these type of abuses going on in the church, I get really upset about it. You know, I'm like, when are we going to stop doing this stuff? Like, uh, just worldwide, outside of the church, when is the innocence of children going to be held up uh, to, to to the standard that God holds it up to? Um, and it really bothers me that, that people do this, but especially in the church, because this is a place where people are going to feel safe. That, that's the reason that right. they're going there. And it's one of the places that's painted that you can be safe here. And then we have all of these allegations 
and and scandals and convictions that happen all the time. So for me, when I hear somebody is not guilty of something, and I didn't think Brian Houston was guilty of this from the jump. I was skeptical. I'm like, God, oh, maybe he did. But I, I listened to one of Brian Houston's uh, books about his life. And throughout the whole entire book, he spoke about his father's allegations. And I know he's much, his father's abuses. And I know he was much older when he read the book. But it just didn't seem like this was something that he shied away from. So you know, I was interested to see where this would go. Um, and, you know, here we are with the not guilty verdict. But, you know, what what are your what's your input on this? How do you feel about uh, the result and the scandals that have just gone on with Hillsong, period? Well, yeah. I wouldn't say I'm rejoicing. I'm, well, I'm not rejoicing because in the sense of, you know, they admitted that his father, Frank Houston, did it, right? So, um. It happened. So, yeah. I mean, like you said, little boys and whatnot were getting raped by this guy, and it, it happened. And everybody admits that it happened. The whole Houston family admitted that it happened. It's just a question of whether or not that Brian covered up or not. So, but everybody's everybody will all agree it 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 happened, and his dad was a pedophile. So, um, that part of it is extremely extremely sad. Yeah, and. And with that being said, I'm I'm saddened because I, I'm saddened for the victims right now because, you know, if for because I don't know if it was in the article. I know Brian didn't say it there when what you read. His father died in 2004, um, and his father never got charged with it. So basically, at least on this earth, on this side of heaven, he got away with it. Basically, yeah, that's, that's tough, um, and that's that that's tough. Um, and from as a as a leader like yourself and myself. Frank Houston used the church to hide, basically. Um, and so not only do I, I'm not saddened for the victims, but I'm also saddened for the body of Christ as a whole that he, Frank Houston, Brian Houston's dad, used the church in such a way where he could feel refuge from his literally literal criminal behavior. Um, from a, As an elder standpoint, as a pastoral standpoint, uh, that really, really rose me the wrong way because um, you're using Jesus or the name of Jesus, if you will, to hide your dirt. And that's just, oh, that's just bad. It's disgusting. So, it's disgusting. Yeah. Um, and not only that, but using the church as a means to recruit kids to pedophile. Um, you're, using, you're using the church as a means to recruit your sin. Um, so... For the victim's standpoint, this is a very, very sad day um, for them because they're going to feel like they got no justice, and quite frankly, they kind of didn't. Yeah. Uh, so I, I am saddened for them. I don't know if it's a win for the body of Christ because it did happen. I would say it's a win for Brian Houston. Yeah. Um, it's a win for Hillsong, and I'm pretty sure because he did say in the statement that you read, you know, he's going to talk about this in the future a lot more, so he's going to probably say something to the effect of, you know, I say everybody, I told you God was on our side and God's going to vindicate us. And that, yeah, that's lame. Yeah. And, and, but he was already doing that before the trial went on. So I'll be honest with you though. I am a little confused because now granted, this is something for those of you who may be outraged right now, let me just give you a little word. Um, the documentary, well, two of them, there was two documentaries. One was on, I think FX and the other one was on TLC. So there was actually two documentaries done on this, but 
what we got to understand is, to Brian Houston's credit and point, documentaries are not used in the court of law for evidence. So we right. we can't convict somebody on... Now, I will say this. Brian Houston is going to have a hard time in the court of public opinion. Of course. Because in the court of public opinion, he's guilty forever. I mean, that's just... Those documentaries were really, really bad on Hillsong, and and that's why I'm I'm not rejoicing. I I, I hear your point. I I don't disagree with you per se. Um, but Hillsong got a lot, a lot of issues besides this. Yeah, and um, so I I would say it's a win for Brian Houston. Um, and it's it's they're gonna spin it as if it's a win for Hillsong. Um. But he's but they're not out of the woods yet. I mean, they still have a whole lot of stuff that they're going to get charged for, like money fraud and yeah, like what what happened with all the money and what did they do with all that money and how many people did they take advantage of financially? So he was found not guilty of this one, but that doesn't mean that there's not more things coming down the pipe. Yeah. Um. So they're not Hillsong is not out of the woods yet, but I would say this is a win for Brian Houston right now. Um. And I, I'm I'm sitting back in prayer just waiting for more stuff to come out. That's kind of where I'm at with it. Now, I will say this. I, I am not surprised that he got a not guilty verdict, not because I think he's guilty or innocent, but he he probably had the best lawyer's money could buy. That's a fact. Not, that is a fact. That, so, I mean, Hillsong is one of the largest churches in the world, so he got the best of the best of the best lawyers in on the planet to represent him. So... um. When things like this happen, particularly with a, with a guy super famous that he is, super rich that he that he is, this is not a surprise to me at all. Yeah. Um, and again, that goes back to the, the to the saddening for the victims. So, it's a win. To your point, it, it, it's a win for the maybe the body of Christ because it's good to feel somebody not guilty. But again, there's so many scandals with Hillsong. Um. Again, I. I think it's a win for Brian Houston, honestly. The, Hillsong is forever tainted, in my opinion, so, because of the two documents. So when I say it's a win for the body of Christ, right, this, let me clarify what I mean by that. Um, from the outsiders looking in, in which us as yeah. Christians, we are, we are guilty before we are proven innocent, and we are, even when we're proven innocent, we're still guilty, Right. Now, right. from, from a theological perspective, we are we are guilty, um, regardless, you know, and 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 yeah. until we are are justified in Christ. But what I'm just saying is just strictly from public opinion, right? I feel like the church just takes so many L's all the time, yeah. Yeah. and I it's just yeah. L after L after L. And then, you know, you and you and I and and other people like Daryl and the Bible Dingers and people who are who are in the chat right now. We now have to defend actual Christianity, right, all the time against what people think Christianity is because of all the L's that we take, right? Now, this, the thing that so many people go back to is the, you know, the, the stuff that happened in Boston with the Catholic Church, right, which, which then we found out was not just in Boston, it was pretty much everywhere, um, in which countless kids were abused. Now, you and I are not Roman Catholics, but the world sees all of us the same. All the right? same, yeah. Yeah, so we get pulled into that and like, how could you participate in something that does that? How could you be involved in something and, and, and 
and fight for something and believe in something that does something like that. And right. we're constantly in explainer mode, explainer mode, one saying, yo, that's not us. Like one, I'm not, a, I'm not a Roman Catholic. I'm not part of that system, you know? And then, then, but that doesn't excuse it because look what happened with the SBC. You know, there's, there's. They did the same thing. Yeah. There's still rampant cover-ups and it, it's, you know, I'm over, I'm over here always ringing the alarm on this stuff. I know you do. A lot of other people do. We, we call these people out when it's going on. We call out the sexual scandals. We call out the money laundering. We call out all of that stuff. But we're not the media. We're not the, we're not the big guys. So we could say what we want, but to them, Christianity equals Brian Houston, right? So right. It, it's the reason I say that it's, that it's a win is because, yes, I do think they need to answer for all of the other stuff that they, that they got going on. I got saved... In, in a Hillsong church, I'm not, uh, I'm not ignorant to the environment and to the schemes that, that go on over there after I left and I looked further into this stuff, right? So they, they do have to answer for that. But I'm just strictly speaking from, I guess if I was a, a PR person and Christianity was my client, you know, right, right, right. That, that's, the, that's the win that I'm talking about. It's just, if he would have been guilty it would have been just another thing on the list that I have to explain of how, like, look, that's that's not Christianity. What he did is not Christianity, you know? So it's just one less thing that you and me have to go explain. That, so that's what I'm, when I say it's a win for the body, I don't, I don't even know if I consider that the body, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I've walked the line on right. that one right there. Yeah, I'm glad you, I, I'm glad you parsed it that way. Because um, if you're going to say, you know, they don't represent us, then at the same time, then their win isn't our win either. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I'm glad you parsed it that way. And that, that, that's why, like, like I said, I'm not rejoicing right now because I put it this way. Brian Houston would, ever, would never be my pastor. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Like ever. Well, Carl Lentz was my pastor. So. <laughs> he wouldn't be mine. I'll be honest. Yeah. I mean, he, he when here's the thing, though. When we speak about like uh, Carl Lentz being my pastor, that means that Carl Lentz was on the stage. Correct. You know, I was thinking about that today. Um, there's so many people that say, I'll just use Carl Lentz since you brought him up. Yeah, yeah. They'll say Carl Lentz was my pastor, right? But you don't know him. Exactly. He doesn't know you. You don't do life together. Like you don't, you've never been to his house. He's never been to your house. Your kids don't go on play dates. You don't do life together. You don't do discipleship together. You don't fellowship at all. He's just some celebrity dude you listen to on a stage. Exactly. So there's so many Christians out there who really are pastorless, mm -hmm. even though they go to church. Um, and that's that's really really sad, you know, because they, they don't they have what they have a, is a celebrity with a microphone. That's what they have. Yep. They don't, they don't have a pastor. Uh, yeah. Even though I, they go to church every Sunday, they don't have a pastor, which is really, really sad to me. Yeah. I didn't know what a pastor was until um, the church that I go to in Connecticut when I'm when I'm home, right? I I was at one of the lowest points in my life. I ended up in that church just off of a, off of a chance. Well, now I know it wasn't a chance, right? Uh, I know that this was divinely ordained for me to end up at that church. 
But until I went there and I was plugging into these small groups and, uh, and, and having direct access to a pastor changed yeah. my life. Um, you know, me and, me and my pastor, it's funny because we're so good at friends now. You got to like take off one hat, put on another, you know, uh, we joke around. But then when it comes to serious stuff, like I, I take my friend hat off, I put the, the like, hey, disciple me hat on. And right. to be discipled by somebody who, you know, his his dad was a pastor. He's a pastor. His kids are pastors. I'm pretty sure that his grandkids are pa- are going to be pastors. He's got like 12 adopted kids, like somebody who's doing it, you know, really, really doing it. It's a whole di- I wish I could just give that experience to people, you know, mm-hmm. and, and just say, hey, I know you're enjoying your time at these like mega churches and, and all that. And I'm not one of these people who is fully against the mega church thing because there are some that have good discipleship programs and they have, uh, you know, executive pastors and assistant pastors right, that, yeah, yeah, campus pastors that help. So I'm not like, don't take this as me saying, oh, yeah, all mega church equals bad. You know, no, if, right. if you have a thriving church where you got a thousand people that are attending now, but you do a good job at at making sure that everybody has a chance to be pastored by somebody qualified enough to be a pastor, then that's cool. But I, I just wish people could have the experience that I have, in which my pastor has met my family who are non-believers, you know, who he's, yeah. he's had dinner with them and, and stuff, you know. So I, to what you're saying, they have a celebrity on the stage with a microphone. I used to think that Carl Lentz was my pastor because I was going to Hillsong Church. But I was... In, in fact, though, I was going to um, these Bible college classes that Nathan Finocchio was teaching. And even in that, Nathan Finocchio wasn't my pastor, but he was teaching me, um, you know, me and a, a big group of people. He was teaching me what Christianity actually was, because until then, I didn't even know what Christians really believed. I was just going to church because I liked it, you know. Right. So, uh there, there are good things also that have came out of Hillsong, like like experiences like that. People like me who who not who didn't just leave when the pastors left, you know, and not to say, oh yeah, look at me, I'm so special. I'm just saying that there's a lot of people who did leave when the pastors fell. Um, right. But the overall arching umbrella of Hillsong, uh, there's there's not a lot of good going on there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's a lot of there's yeah. that voodoo going on in there yeah. yeah definitely but yeah hold on I'm trying to I'm trying to read some of these uh boom let's pull up what Anna said I don't know how do you pull this stuff up oh there we you go. just click yeah just click on it there so Anna said they shame the name of Christ and bring reproach we need people like y'all to show people. That's not Christianity. Excuse yeah. me. They serve another Jesus. I believe that needs to be highlighted. Amen. And uh, and thank you for the encouragement. Uh, yep. Truly, truly appreciate that. Oh, I just I closed the wrong thing. Now you guys can see my well, background. That point, to her point, that's what makes what Frank Houston did so devastating. Mm-hmm. Because he makes it hard for brothers like us, John, to tell people that's really not Christianity. Because we have to keep saying that, unfortunately. Yeah. Right? Because you, you were talking about taking the L. Well, in Frank's case, he deserves the L. 
Yes. Right. Oh no, he, he's taking an L right now. He is taking yeah, an L. Uh, I I don't I would question that guy's salvation. Yeah, I you know I would I, too. I would greatly question it. Yeah, I, I would too. And um, with that being said, it, it just seems like every time there's a scandal, particularly when it's found out, like in Frank's case, he did it. We have to keep saying, "Well, that's not Christianity. That's not Christianity," which is true. It's not, but at the same time, it's like, gosh. When are you guys going to quit doing this? You know, like the Roman Catholic Church and the SBC and Frank Houston, like, dude. And that's just the sexual stuff. That ain't counting the money money laundering and the prosperity gospel and fleecing people. And it's just, wow. You know, so you got to just tell people, yeah, it's not Christianity. That's not Christ. It's not what Christ is about. And that's why there, a lot of them are wolves and all that kind of stuff. Um, but at the same time, it makes it hard for people like us because we have to keep being on the offensive to let people know, look, that's not what Christ is about. That's not what a good church is about. That's not what good pastors are about. Not all pastors are after your money. Not all pastors are sleeping around. Not all pastors are pedophile little boys or whatever. But it just makes it hard because me and you have to keep like going behind after the, after the devastation. Yeah. And it just, it would be nice if we didn't have to do that. But unfortunately we have to keep doing that. In a, in a perfect world, the next, next world, you know, the, uh, the the new heavens new earth we won't have to we won't have to clean that up you know thank god but but right now right now yeah we we have to but i think that it's important um and one of the things that uh that when something like this happens the reason why people are so judgmental of it right when this happens uh, when there's a sexual scandal and this is just a random thing or maybe it happened at a uh, at a business or it happened I don't know, just just somewhere secular, somewhere where there's no standard. You know what I mean? Right. So us as as Christians, whether the world hates us or loves us, they know we have a standard that we're supposed to be living by. And when we right. don't live by that standard, we are hypocrites. So the fact that we can be called hypocrites and the fact that when something like this happens in the church, the fact that people are so outraged, I think that from a perspective of uh, the fact that we even have standards to live by that we can be called hypocrites because we don't live up to them, I think that that is a good thing because it is a good thing. because we can show, hey guys, I know that they're doing all this and, and, and it's bad, but let's just look at Jesus, okay? This is the model right here. He is the way that we are supposed to be living. L- look at Look at how Paul has corrected all of these things that these pastors are doing. He's saying, hey, we're not supposed to do that stuff, yet these pastors are doing it. So that is not Christianity. Thank God, Joe, that the you and I and you know people that are in this chat, thank God that we have something to point back to to say, hey, look, this is it's not living up to what we're supposed right. to be doing because that at least we have the documentation to to show people like look if you just read this right here if you just go through this right here you'll see that what they're doing is out of line with scripture it's out of line with the way that we're supposed to be living so thank god that we even have that to point to and we have christ to point to because it's not about you it's not about me it's not about anybody but christ we we could be the worst people and just be like look i'm i'm gonna keep messing up but i'm not the standard either this is this guy's the standard, you know. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I actually thank God that standard is there. Yeah. Um, 
you know, it, it, it keeps us, it keeps us accountable. It keeps us humble. It keeps us seeking the Lord. I mean, um, I'm glad we don't have, I'm glad holiness isn't fluid. <laughs> you know, I'm glad we, you know, we, we make holiness up as we go along, right? No, we don't. We, we know what holiness is according to the word. We know what we're supposed to do and not supposed to do. Um, and I'm glad it's there. Um, I, I wouldn't trade that at all. I mean, I'm glad it's there. And so we can hold people accountable, including myself. And, um, so when the world say that, when the world says that, you know, yeah, I mean, if we're not living it, yeah, we, we, that's, that's fair. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. No, I'm glad that I'm glad the standards there. Yeah. My wife's glad this, glad the standard is there too, because when I don't live up to it, she'd be letting me know. You're supposed to love me as Christ loved the church, John. You know? <laughs> Say, yep, yep. All right, so speaking of standards, uh, I, would, I would like to to switch to our next topic. We could stay on this one for, for a long time, uh, but I, I want to move to this next discussion. Um, so there's a lot going on in the world right now, and uh, one of, you know, Christian persecution is nothing new, right? It, it's it's okay. nothing nothing new. Uh, it's it's when there's no persecution, that's the word. Yeah, that's the exception to the rule, right? Mm. But persecution, martyrdom, that's been the rule for all historic Christianity. Okay, a thousand years. Yeah. So the fact that us here in the United States that we think persecution is losing social acceptance. That is abnormal, abnormal, right? When it comes to uh, Christianity and persecution, our form, yeah, our form of persecution is like a slap on the wrist in comparison to what goes on around the world. So one, praise God that, um, you know, we have the ability to, to live in a, in a country that allows for freedom of religion. You know, I know, Joe, thank you for, uh, you know, I know you were in the military, so thank you for your service, for helping us to to keep this country that way. I know that people are trying to change it right now. Um, I have faith that they won't get um, as far as they think they will, but time will tell. But so right now in Pakistan, there uh, there's a bunch of Muslims who are tearing apart Christian churches, the homes of Christians, just and I don't mean just tearing apart as in going in there, breaking stuff. No, they're literally tearing the whole entire building down, burning them down. So this is all because, allegedly, two Christians uh, dishonored the Quran. Mm -hmm. So that's what this is from. So we'll watch this clip right here, Joe, and then, then we'll um, we'll discuss it. And let me know if you guys could hear it. Tonight, authorities in Pakistan cracking down after days of religious violence in the country, mobs setting fires in the roads of Punjab province, burning five churches and attacking dozens of Christian homes. Police deploying more than 6,000 officers and troops, arresting at least 146 Muslims in connection with the attacks. There was no, absolutely no logic or reason to attack or ransack the Christian worship places, on the houses for that matter. Because somebody who is not in the other crime cannot be, you know, punished for that. 
Police also arresting two Christian men who allegedly tore pages and wrote insults in a copy of the Quran, the holy book of Islam. It was that supposed act of desecration that triggered the violence. Some police have reportedly been fearful to intervene in such attacks in case the mob turns on them. This protester asking, are Punjab police, are they not Muslims? If they are, why are they siding with the scoundrel blasphemer? The Christian community in the region left devastated. This Pakistani Christian saying, when I saw my house, I felt a jolt in my heart. We haven't committed any crime. All this is a grave injustice towards us. The U.S. State Department speaking out against the violence. Violence or the threat of violence is never an acceptable form of expression, and we urge Pakistani authorities to conduct a full investigation in more of the hundreds who took part in the attacks, the violence drawing new scrutiny to Pakistan's blasphemy laws, which says that anyone who insults Islam or its key religious figures can be sentenced. Hey, we, um, the live stream stopped, so let me just make sure that everything's working. What the heck? Are we back in? Joe, can you hear me? Yeah, I hear you. I got you. All right, let's let me just it make sure a little bit cuz I was frozen on the screen for a little bit. Gotcha. I can see myself moving now. All right, uh let's just let me just um see in the chat. Guys in the chat, let me know if we are live because uh this thing started skipping and then froze and then all that good stuff. I always have issues with Wi-Fi. Always have issues with them. All right, Daryl says we are back. So I'm not gonna play this, but uh, I'm just gonna um, I'm gonna go back to our other screen. All right. Cool, cool, cool. Default screen. There we go. All right. I'm just gonna stay on here. This is the safe. This is the safe screen right here. So old man. Yes. Exactly. Right. Um, So. You guys watching though, you you get the basic understanding of what's going on. It's it's devastating, um, all because two Christians allegedly, not not right. even proven guilty yet, but they allegedly ripped out some pages of the Quran and wrote some things in it. Joe, what what's your first thoughts? Being somebody who has done tours in areas like this, what what are your first thoughts when uh, when you hear something like this or you see something like this? Yeah, it's it's devastating. It's terror at an extreme level. Um, for those of you who don't know, I was served in four tours, three in Iraq and one in Afghanistan. And so in the Middle East, in these predominantly Muslim countries, one, Christians are an extreme minority. Okay, the numbers are extremely small, and they literally can be killed at any moment. Um, they can, the, the, the mob can just come in there and literally just kill you or behead you, you know, kidnap your, you know, your wife, kidnap your kids and basically sell them as sex slaves to whatever that could happen at any time in these places, because any form of disrespect or any even ideology that does not line up with Allah and um, the Quran is considered basically the infidel traitors that need to be basically dealt with. Um, so for for a lot of us, when we were over there as soldiers, um, when we were fighting the Taliban, ISIS, Al-Qaeda, whatever it was, you know, we were the infidels. You know, we were um, 
And it didn't even matter that we were even Christian soldiers or because, you know, not all American soldiers are Christian. Right. It didn't matter. We, we were just the infidels that were over in their country. And when you're fighting an ideology like that, um, they actually think that they're doing Allah a service by killing or getting rid of the infidels. So it's it's not, you know, you know, take souls for Jesus by conversion. It's right. take souls for Allah, either conversion or kill them. Um, and, and that's how Allah wins. Those are the two ways that he can win. So they actually think they're doing Allah a service by persecuting Christians, in this case, burning their churches, getting rid of their houses of worship. If they happen to kill them along the way, again, that's even more kudos on their going to Muslim heaven belt. Right. So, um, you know, the more stuff they do in the name of Allah, then the more Allah is going to reward them in their definition of heaven. So um, this kind of stuff, when you have that kind of ideology, violence and death and killing, if you believe that's going to be rewarded, well, then that actually enhances this kind of stuff. Right. Um, and as a Christian who believes in, you know, taking souls by conversion and, you know, and all that kind of stuff, it's it's two separate and complete ideologies. Um, so, and like you said, this is an alleged disrespectful thing. It's not even, we don't even know if it was actually true or not. So, and that's how rumors get started. And once the rumor's out there, once that, you know, snowball starts going down the hill, once it gets to the bottom of the hill, that snowball is so big, you can't, you can't do anything with it. It's just going to keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger until it turns into an avalanche. And that's what happens. And then you just have a whole entire civil, civil war where just, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people can get killed over something that, you know, it's almost like people don't even know what they're fighting for anymore. They're just fighting. Um, and that, that's what can happen a lot. And, but anyway, these, these Christians really, uh, are really in the minority. Like we were just talking about Hillsong early. There is no Hillsong in Pakistan. (laughs) Right. Right. And, and, And that's the other thing too, John, we have to talk about because unfortunately we here in the West, when we think the body of Christ, we think America, like we don't have a global vision for the body of Christ. Like when you, when you think the body of Christ, most Americans won't think, well, the saints in Pakistan, right? Right. And that's really sad. That is really, really sad because there's Christians throughout the world who are really going through it. And and what does the Bible say? When one suffers, we all suffer with it. Amen. So, so we should be saddened. We should be suffering. We should be heartbroken that our brothers and sisters in the Lord in Pakistan right now are going through this. But because they're not American, we kind of have this, well, it, yeah, it sucks for them, but at least it's not happening here mentality. And But these are our brothers and sisters in Christ, so we really don't have that global love, if you will. We're very tribalistic in that way, um, and we shouldn't be. And this is where I I guess meet me to the military and meet because I was in helicopters and, and I would fly over these these people's homes, and there's saints in Afghanistan, John, that were living in mud huts. That's their house. That's what they lived in, and you know they were praising and worshiping God, you know, under candlelight or you know whatever kind of light they could get, just to worship God in their mud hut, and they were loving Jesus in their mud hut. Um, that's how they live, and that's how they still live today in 2023. 
Um, but we in America, we, we don't think like that. So like I'm heartbroken for my Pakistani brothers and sisters in the Lord. I, I'm heartbroken for my brothers and sisters in the Lord who are in Afghanistan or Iraq or Iran or whatever that is. Because like you said earlier, they they are really suffering the persecution. I mean, they could get killed and beheaded at any any given time. Um, the fact that they won't let me have my Jesus sticker on my car or they won't let me have my Jesus poster on my desk at work, that's not that's not what these guys are going through. Um, these guys are really in it. And they're suffering big time. And um, pers- personally, on a personal level, I wish the body of Christ in America um, w- would get that and understand, you know, people really are getting still martyred. People really are suffering for Christ. Um, and um, and to your point, I don't think we really realize how good and blessed we have it. Right. But so I would. So let me uh, let me just speak on on that statement right there how blessed and good we have it, right? I would say, yes, we have it blessed. Oh, yeah, there's a, there's a, onto that, yeah. Yeah, you know, like, like, I am, do not take what I'm about to say the wrong way. You know, I am so beyond grateful. I love America, like, love it. I am so grateful for the ability to be able to practice my religion in public and, and not have to worry about anything except like scrutiny, right? You know, I'm, I'm just so grateful for it. But I think as a whole, you know, Christianity is flatlined out of, out of, mm-hmm. out of comfort, you know, yep. in the United States, it's a comfortable thing. It thrives under persecution, right? Like it, you bond all of these arguments that, that we be having, uh, about doctrine and this and that, they don't. They don't even have time for that. They don't even have this to be able to 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 study and be like, oh well, what about Romans nine? You know, like they they don't even they don't even have that ability. They're just they're excited about the salvation of their souls and the, the salvation of their friends and their family and and the good news of Jesus, and they just want to share it with people. And right. I, there's a beauty in that that we are lacking. And I'm not saying everywhere in the United States is lacking that beauty. They, there are Christians right. out there that are that are that are engulfed in the love of Christ and, and and are on fire for the Lord and are passionately seeking the lost. There are. I'm not trying to say that that does not exist in, in the United States, but there is a there's a beauty in uh, you know I, I forget where I heard it, but Shared trauma builds bonds, you know, so you have a deeper love for your brothers and sisters in Christ that you are going through things with. When your church gets burnt down and your your neighbor's church gets burnt down and now you guys have to rebuild together, that's a bond that that cannot be broken. You guys have been persecuted together and you are never going to, you're in the military, right? So the people that you served with and went on tours with and and had crazy experiences with, even if you don't talk to those people as much as today, that bond that you have with them still there, unbreakable, unbreakable, and it it's unbreakable because it's like an unspoken bond. You just once you see each other, you know you've been there, done that, and got the t-shirt, and you just know you've been in some stuff together, and there's a bond there that will never be broken. You don't even have to voice it. You just already know because you were in it with them, right? 
Um, and that's one of the reasons some of the greatest friends I still have, you know, even though it's 20 some years later was in, when I was in Iran and we were getting bombed and persecuted, you know, Al Qaeda would bomb us and they would attack us and all that. Like every day, I remember being in church services where, you know, they would bomb us and the shrapnel would hit the side of the church building, you know, and we had to go and report to our bosses to make sure that we didn't die. I mean, that's, that was, that was an everyday reality on my first tour. So there's a bond there, you know, with your band of brothers and band and brand of sisters that will never be broken. It's just because you are all in it together. And to your point, so yeah, when I say blessed we have it, but I take that, but to your point, I agree. We take it with a grain of salt because, you know, we can be big, fat, and happy in our churches. Right. Unfortunately. Potlucks and, and everything. Yeah, physically and spiritually. And what happens is we... um you know, there's a saying that's like the fuel of the church is the blood of the martyrs or something like that. And suffering toughens you up spiritually. It, when you don't have that persecution or suffering, you become very spiritually weak. Um, either because, like you said, you don't have that bonding. Um, you don't really have to trust Jesus for X, Y, and Z because you're not in X, Y, and Z, right? So, but when you're in it like they are, and they're, they're literally churches are getting burnt down and the, they literally have a two or 300 person mob outside of their building and who knows what's going to happen. And they're living in fear for their life every day. Um, you know, they really have to be like, God, give us today our daily bread. Cause we don't know if we're going to see tomorrow. Right. <laughs> they really, really. Don't. Right. Um, like the thing. And that's kind of how we were when we were in Iraq too. We didn't know what was going to happen to us every single day. We literally lived with this idea of, I don't know if I'm going to see tomorrow, but I thank God that if he allows me to see, I'm going to give you praise God that I do type of thing. And, it does give you a different, you know, fervor, a different passion, a different, um, you know, I tell people all the time when you're getting bombed, you know, you know how in James it says, you know, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avail much, much. Well, when you're getting bombed, your prayer will be fervent. <laughs> yeah, right. That's you a know, fact. You know, you don't, you don't have to worry about, is this a half-hearted prayer? No, you're praying hard. <laughs> Oh, that's a fact. So, but the only the only time the only time we get that is if we're stuck in traffic and have to use the bathroom. That's when we pray hard in America, right. you know. But we just maybe don't get road rage, right? Yeah, right. Sure. With our you know with our you know you know thirty forty thousand dollar vehicles, and we're just you know complaining about the car payment. Well, they, like they don't have car, you know. Right. They, they're walking in sandals still to this day, like Jesus did with you know, you know dirt and you know donkey dung all over their feet and all that i mean they're still living in that same way today and and we get to do and we get to do live streams you know right and, and talk about it right and and talk about what they're living right it's it's a completely different experience john um and i and that's the blessing of me being in the military and believe it or not that's the blessing of me being in combat over there because i got to see a side of the world that most westernized Christians will never see. Um, and therefore I have a little bit different perspective because, you know, we in America, like, so we don't really know to your point, we don't know how good we have it. But again, what is your definition of good? Because if we're big, fat and happy and we're weak, you know, it's kind of like that scripture in revelations. Remember when it says, you know, you know, you think you're doing good because you have plenty and you're this and you're that. But God was like, really though, you're spiritually weak. You're a nap. You're, you don't really have it going on like you think you do. So 
you know, God rebuked them because they thought that, you know, they had plenty and they thought they had this and they had that. But God said, no, you really have nothing. Right. Um, and in a lot of, in a lot of Christians in America and a lot of churches in America and to your, and I'm glad you said it, not all there, there's some right. passionate brothers and sisters in the Lord who are missionaries and they're going to Afghanistan. They're going to Iraq. They're going these places. Um, but a lot of Christians in America, they don't have that sense of fire, if you will, because of how, just how we live in America today. So, um, yeah, some, some get it, but the ones that do, they get it. And they're like, yeah, this is which little caveat. That's one of the reasons I can't stand the prosperity gospel, because if it's all about your comfort and your prosperity and your wealth and this and that, then who's going to go? Right. Who, who's 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 going to take on that task? Because you in your theology, you don't feel that you should have to. Right. And uh, I love what John Piper said about this years ago. He's like, who's going to go to the war torn country? Who's going to go? when you may get killed, who's going to go, you know, when your family members may get raped, Who, who's going to go over there when your theology says I'm not supposed to suffer. Right. Well, the answer is nobody. It's, it's never going to happen. Um, so the whole idea of suffering and martyrdom and all that kind of stuff, it's foreign to those type of churches. So, but for the churches who get it in America, they get it. And they're like, yeah, you know, for Christ, I live and for Christ, I die. And, it's all about Jesus, man. So let's go. If God's called me there, let's go. Right. It's um. As I say, there's 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 beauty in the in the in the struggle, right? When I um you know I go to Guatemala every year, um to build schools, and we went to this last community, and it was crazy. There was like 600 kids. That was the most kids that I ever seen uh, in that community, uh, in in a particular community. And these are like you know in the rural um, mountains. Um, you know, like way up there. This was a more urban area, so there was a lot of kids. But the principal got up and uh, she said, you know, I don't, I don't have anything that I can give you, but can we pray for you guys? And mm-hmm. and to me, you know, so that's, it's a secular trip. So there's there's a mixed bag with every everybody that we bring, which is, I think is good because it always gives me an opportunity to speak to people who are far from Christ about Christ on these trips. Um, and, you know, I've been leading them every single year. But to to me, when somebody says, like, oh, I don't have, uh, you know, anything to give you but except prayers, I'm like, you have no idea. Right. That would, that would not even come out of my mouth to think, like, oh, I don't have much to give you. All I have is prayers. All you have? That's better than any, that's better than you could get. Anything you could give me is your prayers. I will take your prayers. Somebody who is, is struggling to, to, to lead these kids and give them a better education and relying on God and volunteers coming to build schools there. I will take your prayers. Please pray, pray for us, please. Because as you, those are fervent prayers. Absolutely. And, and I don't, and a good point to that. I don't know if you ever had a chance to see that video, um, Pastor Art Sepulveda, who's in Hawaii, um, he actually went to Hawaii years, or not, he went to China, excuse me, he went to China years and years ago, and this is on YouTube, and for your audience, if you haven't seen it, please look this up. He went to China, and he actually got, he actually met the underground church. Uh, yes. China, because obviously they can't have church in the open because of communism and all that. And the the saints in China were praying, they, they were asking him, hey, would you pray 
that basically we in China can have it like you guys in America. And he said, respectfully, I'm not going to pray that prayer. He said, what I'm going to pray is I'm going to pray that we in America have it like you. Because he's like, some of you guys, you've been traveling for seven days just to get here. You know, you were on train after train. Some of you came thousands of miles just to get here, just to be in this underground meeting with me or whatever. He's like, in America, if it's more than 30 minutes away, we won't come. Yep. He's like, some of you guys have traveled in rain, snow, sleet, and hail, and all kinds of elements to be here. He's like, in America, if it's raining, we won't come. Um, he's like, some of you have all kinds of sicknesses and can barely walk. You know, we have all the technology. We have planes, trains, and automobiles and cars, and we still won't come. So he's like, my prayer is that we become more like you. Um, very, very profound video. Um, yeah, I've seen it. Now that you're now that you're saying it, I remember it. Yeah, it, it's and that speaks to and again, not everybody in America is like that, obviously, but unfortunately, a lot are. And but you got the underground church; they're they're willing to spend seven days of travel just to have a twenty minute meeting with somebody. Yeah, I mean, just and go thousands and thousands of miles. Not to mention the money that these poor people spent to get to that. And just so the time, the money, the effort, the traveling, the who knows what they had to put up with, the babies crying, the I got to go to the bathroom and I can't type of things just to get to have a meeting like that, just to be able to get a Bible. You know, there's I don't know if you ever saw that that video too the Chinese underground church when they got that box full of Bible. Oh, yeah. And they all ran to it. They all ran to it, and they were just bawling, crying, just thanking God that they had a chance to get a Bible. Yeah. Because what they do is they have to get a piece of paper, and so the communist police don't come in. They have to memorize that, like, whole entire sheet of Bible. Um, and they have to—so they have to literally memorize the Word of God, because if they're caught seen with it, you know, they can get arrested and all that. So they, they memorize, like, chapters and chapters at a time or what have you, because— they can't get caught with the word. So they literally have the word in them, like kind of like the movie, The Book of Eli with Denzel Washington. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like that. Um, so that way they literally have the word in them because they've memorized it so much. Um, it's interesting too, though, right, um, to piggyback off of how this discussion started where um, the the Muslims were outraged that Christians, that these Christians allegedly disrespected the Quran, right? Yeah. And us in America, right? You got videos of Greg Locke using the Bible on the end of a, um, you know, baseball bat to do baseball a demonstration, bat. right? And we, you know, we that's the lack of regard we have for God's word. But then you have these people in China who you open the box and they're all running to it like it's, like it's right. food and they haven't eaten in two weeks. You know, yeah. and it's we should not obviously have this uh, this respect for the Bible that would cause us to burn down people's homes who, right. you know, ripped it or something like that. But we also shouldn't have this lack of respect where we're tying it on the end of a baseball bat when people in countries in the underground church would they would 
lose their mind if they ever saw a video like that because they're so hungry for the Word of God. You know, when um, I was doing uh, some prayer Zooms for uh, this group that was being led by uh, this woman in, um, in Pakistan, and, like, I would just come on there and just say a few words and, and pray. And my friend Darren Walker, who connected me with her, you know, he would do a church service via Zoom and they would translate what he's saying. And, and, and like just seeing them all sitting there, just, just hungry for the word. Yeah. In, in a, like in a desert kind of, you know, just like in a little back alley where they just put some mats out. Like it took, we, we got some funding and they got mats that they were able to put on the floor, you know? And, and then we're like, man, if it's not air conditioned, if the screen isn't HD, if they're not doing a, a Christmas special play uh, in the holiday seasons, I'm not going. You know, it's just, oh it's, it's bananas to me. Yeah. And to that point, I think also, John, a thing that would help is if Christians took like a church history class. Facts. In the sense, uh, in the sense of the Bible you're reading right now on this Sunday morning, do you realize people dying for you to have this? Right. Like, because, you know, remember the Catholic Church, they made the Bible in the Latin. And so if you didn't speak Latin, you couldn't get the word. And, and if you tried to translate it into English, like William Tyndale, he translated it into English and they killed him for that, guys. Yep. So the English Bible that you got, people literally died to get that thing in the English to make sure that we have the word of God, that we now have in our cell phones, we have it on our computer. Now you can get the audio Bible. So now you have somebody read the Bible for you. So if you're so lazy, you don't want to read it. You have somebody can read it for you. You can listen to it. I mean, we have more access to the word now than we've ever had in the history of our lives. And yet we don't realize literally the people that died that were martyred to get the word that we have. So we really do need to cherish and respect our, the people that came before us that gave it to us. And to your point, that's just the English Bible, right? right. Think about how, like, yes, it was it was in Latin and 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 uh, like they were the only ones that were reading it, and you just show up and they read it to you, right? But even before that, just getting it compiled and keeping the manuscripts alive for as long as they had to before the edict before the Edict of Milan, you know what I mean? It, like just 300 years of underground churching and avoiding persecution and making sure that you're copying the the copies of the copies of the copies just so we could have the something to translate into English. Correct. Like it's Correct. it's bananas, man, and it's but it's beautiful. Like when I think about church history and I think about everything that people have went through to make sure that we have the luxuries that we have, like how many different translations I have. The, this one is the, I believe this is the, uh, this is the NRSV, right? Like mm. how many English translations besides this one do we have? You know, like we have oh, yeah. so many. NIV, CEV, NASB, King James, New King James. I mean, it's, it's, it's all over the place, yeah. You even we even have the luxury of of mistranslating it into the message and the passion, you know? Like right, that's, exactly. <laughs> right. people people died, so the people died, so that way these so people were <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And it's just it's just amazing. But to, to that point, 
and this is where I mean, granted, I'm not talking about let's be violent and kill people, right. or whatever. But right. I, w- I would hope not, Joe. I would hope not. <laughs> yeah. But but I will say this: the 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 lack of respect and reverence that they have for the Quran and Allah and all that. It's it's in that regard, it's to be commendable. The fact that they just they, they, there's certain things they just will not tolerate. Right. Um. We, and maybe it's because we're not persecuted, and we are so not all of us, of course. Some of us are so nonchalant with our faith that we tolerate everything. Yeah. And you know everything goes, and and now you see this is what kills me. Like before, it was you know Catholic versus Protestant, right? But now you have a, I can't even say new, it's been around for a while, but now you have conservative Christians versus progressive Christians. Like, yeah. So now, now we're, now we're, now we have an, another division of Christian so-called. And I'm like, I don't even know if the progressives even are because like what they're saying is so anti-Bible now, but it's like, so now we have another division of the, the first division. So that's like, we just keep breaking down into these subgroups. And I'm just like, dude, when do you just get about the things of Jesus and just get back to the basics, man? Amen. Because it's just so it's just so just stupid where we're going. So I'm I'm writing this. Uh, I'm currently writing another book. Right, shoot me in the foot. Um, but <laughs> it's it's going to be a quick one. It's something I'll be able to get done fast because you know I wrote the Law of Attraction, Gateway Drug to Spiritual Heroin, and I pointed out a problem. And so right now I'm writing something along the lines of Christian positive thinking, like the 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 biblical way to go about this because. People, you should med- meditate on the Word of God and all that. So yeah. right, right. So I fr- I just lost my my train of thought. Just told me. Oh yes. So I was looking. Uh, you know, I'm looking up statistics because I was very uh, biblically illiterate. I knew more apologetics than I knew uh, what the Bible actually said, or how to read it in context, or you know why this book was written this way. Who wrote it? You know. The, oh wow, there's 66 books in the Bible. I had no idea. You know. So it. it for a while, I carried that law of attraction into, um, you know, into my Christianity, which led me to prosperity and and right. oh, yeah. not not really too into the word of faith, but but I was I was into prosperity preaching, right? right. Um, Remember, you had me on my show last time. They have similar connections. They have similar lines of thought. But anyway, go ahead. Right. So uh, as I'm researching for it, uh, and uh, and I'm confronting my own shortcomings, a big reason why we believe. All of that nonsense is biblical illiteracy. And I right. I forget what the poll said, but it was something like less than, I think, 6% of Christians actually read their Bible. And don't quote me. I got to, you know, I got to pull up the poll because uh, I'll have that factual in the book. But that's not a lot of people reading the Bible. Uh, right. <laughs> it's not. And then you then another thing you got to think of is how many of them are actually reading it in context? How many of them are, are being taught how to actually read the Bible? When I was taught how to read the Bible, and and I I found out that as a man thinketh, so is he, was not confirming the law of attraction. When I learned that, I was like, oh, nah, I got this whole thing messed up, you know? I knew how the Bible was compiled, and I could tell you that the New Testament was reliable, but I, I didn't know how to actually read it, you know? Right. And... and it's so and now you're now you're in my wheelhouse, John, because that that's what that's one of my passions and burdens is because unfortunately the only people who get taught how to do hermeneutics and exegesis and biblical interpretation are people who have pulpit ministry, right? 
or, you know, or people who are, you know, called to be the clergy, if you will, which there's also this thing as clergy laity. That's something the church made up anyway, but that's a whole other topic. But, um, this, there's only certain people I'll call it the spiritual elite, if you will, that get that kind of training. And it really, really ticks me off that the people in the pews and who maybe are not called the pulpit ministry, which is perfectly fine because not all of us will be, um, they don't, they don't have access to that kind of training. And a lot of churches are not teaching them that in the, in the, in the churches that are, a lot of them are only teaching again, people who are called to preach. Right. And I'm like, well, what about the people who are called to preach, but they love the Lord and they love the Bible. They love theology and they love quoting it in context, but they just don't know how. Yeah. So that's my burden, man, is to bring biblical interpretation, hermeneutics, exegesis, all that kind of stuff in context and historical context, the setting and all that to the local church. So the people, in the pews can get that. Right. That's so important. It has, it has to be taught. It has to be taught. It's important. But I think first off, people need to know it exists. Right. Like Correct. they they need to know that there is a correct and incorrect way to to read the Bible. I I don't know how long I was going to, to Hillsong every Sunday and not knowing that you don't. Yo, this is a side note story. OK, side note story. I was going to the college classes. Right. And I was learning a lot about church history and, and whatnot. Um, and then I accidentally ended up at um, a women's event right because i thought that we had college that night so i show up same time same bad time same bad channel for college and it's just nothing but girls there women right yep. but i would say girls because they were like teenagers and and women and i'm just like i think i think i'm in the wrong place right so i just asked somebody and they're like look you can stay but what they're doing here is they're teaching preaching to women right and Listen, I didn't know. I didn't know. But they were like, all right, so um, you can you can still stay. So it turns out Pastor Carl Lentz was the one teaching. Mm -hmm. And uh, Justin Bieber was there that night, so that was interesting. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, figured he would show up to the one with all the women. Um, but, <laughs> but so anyway, how they taught them to write a sermon was very revealing. Now, I'm following these instructions. I want to out, yeah. yeah, I'm following these instructions out of ignorance. But what they what they essentially said was find a Bible verse, read what it says, and then take that, put an experience that you've had in life that might relate to that and use that as your platform to build a talk from. They said oh. Yeah. They said nothing about reading it in context. They said nothing about making sure that you understand the scripture. Now this was day one, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna make too many assumptions. This was just day one. That's day one. That you got enough heresy right there unless you I know. I know. <laughs> to to carry over to session to carry over to session two. Um but so that's that's how they built it. And I wrote a a sermon. Right there, because I, I was interested in preaching, interested in, in, you know, possibly going down that road when I didn't know any better, you know. Um, and that's how they taught you to, to pick this thing, to, to pick this Bible verse, find one that sounds good, maybe about a topic that you want to talk about, 
and then build your talk off of that. And at the time, I'm like, wow, this is it's pretty good. It's pretty good advice. Because another thing you got to understand is I was a trainer for a company and where I was speaking a lot, doing a lot of public speaking. So that was one of the things that drew me into Hillsong. It was like a motivational speech, right? So mm. when I was learning this, I'm like, wow, this is a great tool for me to use for a speech that I might want to give. And um, I, I, I would say that that speaks to... Um, to just how messed up everything was there. That's how they were building their sermons. I, I think Carl Lentz also said that he he comes up with his sermons when he plays basketball. And it's like, yeah, buddy, we can tell. Um so so yeah, that was that was an experience I had there. And then I actually afterwards I bumped into Justin Bieber and Carl Lentz walking around. So I got to meet Justin Bieber. That was cool. <laughs> wow, I did not know that. Thank you for sharing that. That's uh inside information right there and that's just that just shows the the level of just depravity of biblical teaching and you know sound exegesis and stuff but yeah yeah but to, to piggyback to the pakistani they don't even have time for any of that exactly <laughs> yeah they they got no time no time for that they got no time for just the viewer they got no, <laughs> no time for you know all women's class and they got time for you know let, let's see how we can totally botch this text <laughs> <laughs> yeah they're like, you know about Jesus? You know about Jesus? All right, cool. We're we're gonna be meeting over here at this burnt down church tonight, you know? <laughs> like, you know, by the way, you know, hope to see you. Hope you hope you don't die on the way there. Yeah, yeah. Right. It's just Godspeed, brother. Yeah, exactly. Um, so really, I mean, when they when they read that text, you know, take no thought for tomorrow, you know, because they really don't know what tomorrow is if they're gonna see it or not, right? So I mean, yeah, and it's just it's funny how you put the hill song and the Pakistani topics together because they they couldn't be any more different <laughs> right? yeah but there there's i think that uh it's a good contrast oh it is it for us to is, yeah. for us to look at you know what what we think christianity is and what it really is yeah well what the world yeah, thinks christianity yeah. what what america thinks christianity is and then what it really is right you know yeah and that's my point we in the west have a completely different version um of you know what's going on in, in the, globally. Right. We have a very different version of Christianity than, than what's happening globally. So, uh, and even when we do see it, like, because there's people who probably saw that on YouTube, or whatever, and they're like, you know, let's just pray for them. But I'm just glad it's not happening here. So there's there's an indifference there, as opposed to no, these are my brothers and sisters in the Lord. We need to pray and uplift my brother and sister, right? Because you know they're going through it, and that's. The arts of hope at his point that's what he was talking about he's like no i want the christians in america to be like you um and what a powerful statement because that's you know so if you guys are listening yeah that that's the one takeaway is just the this kind of like awakening to what's really happening you know really understand what's happening and i tell you what when you really understand that it'll change your prayer life Right. It'll change the way you pray. It'll change your perspective. It'll change how you think about these things. Um, your prayers will be different when you see people living in mud huts. Um, you, your prayer will be, and even then, like, it's not like you're praying for suffering to come, but you're like, Lord, wake us up. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. it'll, your prayer for America will be different um, because you, you'll see things that, how the other believers in the world are living. It'll change your prayer life. The things you fast for will be different. Um, you know, the things that 
your definition of revival is different. Right. You know, that's, that's, uh, it's facts. Not, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's not just get everybody in the city together and have a great big, you know, huge church service and, you know, and, but nobody's getting saved. It's just, we just had a really, really good time in the Lord. Yep. Yep. That's not revival, y'all. People being mm. slain in the spirit. Yeah. You know, casting out demons that, you know, that poverty yeah. demon, everybody broke. And yep. that's not, that's not it, man. Those people over there, for Jesus I live and for Jesus I die. Um, it, it changes your definitions of terms like revival and, you know, and just what church is and fellowship. Right. You know, and, and we, you know, we think fellowship is I went to church and I get in my car and go home. That's not fellowship. <laughs> That's not fellowship. That is, quite frankly, and particularly if the, if the sermon was terrible, all you all you really did was make waste money on gas. Yeah, that's, that's a fact. Really all you did. So, so, anyway, I'm sorry. Uh, when I when I travel, right, uh, I always do my best to um, visit churches of people that I know. Um, so I went to visit my boy Arthur from Apologia Center. We were in California, and his church was 40 minutes away from where we were staying. We do, I don't like to do the online church thing. I will do it. If I have to when I'm traveling, because, you know, I'm always traveling, but I like to go in person. Right. But so if I'm if I'm around someone uh, somewhere that I know somebody who goes to a church, I'm going to say, hey, I'll come visit your church. I went to John Adams Church when I was in um, when I was in uh, Orlando, when I was in Cali, I went to um, to Arthur's church. But anyway, I say that to, to piggyback off of your fellowship thing. Right. So. It's a small, it seems to be um, more Armenian, not not Armenian Calvinism, Armenian, but Armenian like the, the country, right? Um, so right. ethnic people. Yeah, exactly. Ethnic Armenian. Right, right. Yeah. right. So, but afterwards, you know, Arthur's like, hey, you know, we do this every Sunday uh, after church. We want you guys to come, come to the house. We're going to have smash burgers and just to hang out. And to me, that was so refreshing. We had to get on the road. But I made sure that we went to Arthur's house for those smash burgers to hang out with everybody, you know, because that fellowship afterwards, it's that's where you really get to know your brothers and sisters. The small the small groups that you do when you get together midweek and and you hang out and, you know, you got some food and you study the Bible or maybe a book you're all reading together. That's where those those that's true fellowship. We may have a fellowship hall outside you know, at, of all of our churches, but we just go there, eat the snacks, talk to people, say, peace, see you later. Nah, man, those, that type of fellowshipping is so important, being with your brothers and sisters and actually becoming friends. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so needed. And I'll say it's even, I don't want to say more needed, but particularly when COVID hit and all that, like, right. I mean, we're socializing and we weren't being around people like, now that we can come together, like we really need to be taking advantage of this. Like we really need to see each other. I mean, I'll just share this. Me and for me and my wife, our our vision, our our word for this year was intentionality. Like we are going to be intentional to fellowship with people. We are going to be intentional to see our friends. We're going to be intentional to do because a lot of times we just talk about it, but we don't actually get around to do it. Right. But we ex- we actually wanted to be intentional to you know make new Christian friends and. And that's just, you know, how intentional are you and really make, how and really your intentionality will be focused on how much you really value it. How much do you cherish it? 
Because if you don't really cherish it much, you'd be like, oh, whatever, I'll get to it when I get to it. I'd rather watch this football game right now. Um, but if you really cherish the believers, you cherish the saints, um, you'll make time for it and, you, and you'll do it. And you, you're so right. Like, we need this. We need fellowship. And it's again, it's just not just going to church and getting in our car and going home. That's that's not that's not it. We need to we need to do life together. We need to know right. each other. We need to, you know, and that good times and bad. You know, what are their struggles? You know, and what, you know, what happened? Like, for instance, I lost my mom during COVID. Like stuff like that. Like, hey, Joe, how you doing? Type of thing. You know, and it's not all I'm blessed and highly favored. Yeah, I know that, but how are you doing? Right. It's we we need to get rid of this Christianese, particularly in the Pentecostal charismatic circles. Oh my. Gosh. Yeah, because you can't say anything bad. You can't say anything bad because you're, you you're bringing a curse on yourself. Yeah, yeah. COVID the, and all this. Your your stuff. kids are your kids are gonna have generational curses and whatnot. So, right. Yeah. It's like okay, well, my mom already died, so let's get over it and let's <laughs> deal with it. Right. Sorry, I didn't mean to laugh at that. I, I no, I can't. It's, it's like yet. like look, wait, generational curses. My mama died, so let's <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, it, let let's deal with this stuff. Um. You know, but that, that and that makes sense because the Bible says rejoice for those who rejoice, but mourn for those who mourn. Right. Well, you can't do that if I don't know you. Right. It's just you, you have to know your brother and sister in the Lord. It, you got great days and then you have some not not so great days. And and when you don't have a great day, you need each other to encourage each other. Pick pick yourself up. Um, the Bible says encourage one another in the Lord. And, and that's what we need to do. And. Yeah, that's fellowship, you know, yeah. that's and that's what we need. So. And also, once you're plugged in, right? I would say to to people, I know that that many people don't, um, you know, they they do the church thing on Sunday, like they're busy, they got kids, they all this stuff, right? Just try to find just some area where you could serve. I'm not saying you got to do it every single week. I'm not saying you even got to do it every single month. But right. do but what you can. do what, yeah, exactly. Do what you can. Serving at church. You, you meet people who are serving at church. Hello. You know, these are people who have a servant heart who, who want to serve the Lord. And we have made so many amazing friends just from that, right? Like just, just by, uh, so me and my wife, we do um, youth group, right? Um, and now you have this, uh, this is just my experience. It may not be everybody's. But the kids that we have at youth group, I have been gone for two months and I want to go back to see the kids, you know, like this is, this is, this is what I mean to when you get plugged in and, and you miss it when you're away from it. Find yourself a church that when you're away from it, you're like, man, I can't wait to get back to church. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. I, tell, I used to tell people that. Uh, time if you're embarrassed of your church then you probably shouldn't go <laughs> you know the truth. if you're embarrassed to invite people to come to your church then why are you going yeah that's hilarious <laughs> yeah so if you're embarrassed of your church find a new church yeah yeah people so, sometimes they just go because their parents have been there and stuff like that but right. I, I get it but anyway man we've been on for me and you every single time that we do this we just end up talking yeah. forever um, but Joe, thank you so much for, for being on here. Thank you for your insight for into these topics. You gave some great insight. So God bless you, man. Thank you so much. Um, guys, if you're listening to this now, or you're listening to it on the stream, I'm going to put the link to Joe's 
uh, YouTube on here. Definitely check his stuff out. I'm excited for his new direction. And his old stuff is good, too. So, you know, you'll get a lot of value by going over there. Uh, thank you so much to everybody who was in the chat today. Um, usually, Jeremy plays this, like, outro thing, but I don't got it. So it's going to be an awkward goodbye. So with that being said, with that being said, God bless, and we'll see you guys on the next one. Yeah, boy.